Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking solely about Season 3, Episode 4 of Westworld, The Mother of Exiles. So we kind of want to do this moving forward with this show in particular. We are going to have our normal weekly shows that kind of talk about um, general things. But we figured we wanted to break out with Westworld exclusive episodes to kind of get a deeper dive into the show because it's definitely the one that Misha and I are both into and we kind of like digging into the the theories and um, the lore of it all. And I think some of you listening have also kind of expressed that same thing. Um, So this is going to be starting from here on out. We will have season three specific episodes for you all. Yeah, and I think this is our first standalone episode of any kind, um, besides maybe some of the like ancillary ones that you've done on your own. Um, but yeah, like Kyle was saying, this is a show that we've both kind of watched adjacently at the same time. So, you know, it's kind of one of those shows that's close to us, and we want to kind of give it a proper episode each. And if this is something that you guys like, then we could potentially do this for other topics. Um, but uh, we're going to give it a go and dive deep into this season three episode four of Westworld yep so as you already mentioned um, the title is um, mother of exiles exiles yes yeah. so um, <laughs> and the tagline is the truth does not always set you free so when I first saw that I was like oh there's another nod to Game of Thrones and a couple few episodes hmm. we had the double D's guest appear um, and now we kind of like the mother of dragons, mother of exiles sort of title. And that was my first thing mm-hmm. in my mind. What were your, what were your thoughts on 304? Um, so I think generally speaking, um, this episode was probably one of the better ones in my opinion. I, it also definitely had the most action in it. Um, I think after a lot of speculation that's been happening um, the first few episodes, this one kind of reveals some of those secret secrets and it kind of reveals like kind of where that, where the show is kind of heading where we have a pretty specific antagonist and then a series of protagonists and, um, and we're halfway through. So it's, it's a pretty good um, midway point, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this, like in previous seasons of Westworld, they kind of take the first couple of ex- episodes to kind of set up this exposition. Um, and then now that they have these kind of plot lines all in order, now they're just like firing on all full cylinders, um, really kind of like ramping up the action and like you said, establishing who the protagonists and antagonists are. Um, and I really like this one. I thought it was kind of well balanced with the kind of mind bending um existential like almost confusing aspects of westworld as well as like some action um and some old characters all kind of coming into you know the the plot lines of these different characters crossing um which i found really entertaining and i also thought it blended humor really well into the into the episode as well Mm -hmm. yeah did you did you have any sort of like awe moments through this episode like that you didn't catch in previous ones? Did you say aha moments? Yeah. Um that's a good question. Um I guess if it's too spoilery, we'll save that for the recap. I mean, yeah, there were definitely some of the spoilers that we'll get into later that were aha moments, not ones that I kind of figured out for myself. Mm-hmm. Um there were more so aha moments in terms of really solidifying who who are like the bad guys and the good guys in this story of you know the hosts coming to the real world and you know obviously their motivations and the human characters motivations so there were some definitely some aha moments there um i wouldn't say i really like pieced together any of you know some of these theories that have been floating out in like the westworld fan mm-hmm. universe over the past couple of weeks um I will say that there is, this isn't really a spoiler, but there's basically, you know, the resolution of who some of the hosts that um, Dolores like smuggled out of the park, who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely did not, (laughs) did not anticipate those. And I don't think either of us really, 
um, got super close with our predictions, but um, right. I really enjoyed it. We obviously also see the return of the man in black um, in this episode who really hadn't come into play at all this season. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of a nice, like new character. Well, not as a new character, one we're used to, but um, one we haven't seen in a while, get thrown back into the mix. Yeah. Because episode one was really about introducing viewers to like the quote unquote real world. And then mm-hmm. episodes two and three were about, you know, getting characters into their storyline, like battle positions. And then tonight's episode has pretty much characters making major moves toward their own individual goals. Um, yeah. So there is definitely a lot that we're going to break down. So just again, if you, if you need a, a refresher on the first two, um, first three episodes, you know, you can check back a few episodes of our podcast and listen to that. Definitely. Um, yeah. So do you want to jump into the recap? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So, um, like, like I mentioned, if you haven't seen episode four yet, um, if you don't want spoilers, then, you know, save this podcast for another day. Um, we will be discussing some spoilers in the course of the recap. Um, so we open with a cold open on William or the man in black, seemingly in his real world home, struggling with his reality. You can almost put it in quotes and seeing these visions of his daughter who basically questions his sanity and what he's perceiving, you know, is she a figment of his imagination or is he maybe something that's been created or, you know, there's a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Then enters Charlotte, um, what we perceive is like the real world Charlotte, who has come to inform William of Ciroc's corporate takeover and the mole in Delos. And she asked William to attend an emergency shareholders meeting to sway the board to take the company private to avoid Ciroc's buyout. And then we get our opening credits. Yeah, so continuing like the whole who are you theme from last week, Mm -hmm. we definitely see William like haunted by Dolores and of course the ghost of his daughter, Emily. And she's Mm -hmm. asking him like, William, who are you? Um, And he of course replies, I know you're not real. Um, I know who I am, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of dawned on me that William is almost like an audience surrogate. Like we we're always watching the show and we're kind of always like asking is what we're seeing on TV real? Is this a, is this a simulation? Um, and it's kind of cool that William is also asking those same questions. <laughs> He's like equally as confounded. Like, yeah. And, and as we know, at the end of the season two finale, um, after the credits, we saw a scene of William pretty much going down an elevator where he was greeted by a host version of his daughter, Emily. And then we also saw that there were host versions of William as well. So in this scene, you know, is William William? Is he a host? Um, yeah, because it really didn't happen. That was like the very, very, very last shot of season two. So yeah. they haven't tied that up at all, um, which really, you know, made me take that scene with a grain of salt. I think kind of like you said you did mm-hmm. um, and wondering like, is it really William? Um, is the environment he's really in the real world? We, we kind of learn later that it seems to be, um, but yeah, I, uh, he seemingly was so confused about his reality that he almost capped Charlotte as well until she very like mm-hmm. <laughs> assertively asked him to put his gun away. And, um, and as William was being taken away to that private mental hospital, we see Hale use her finger to prick his neck. And yeah. we kind of saw a lot of that like blood identity stuff later on when um, mm-hmm. Caleb is stealing that dude's money. But that was kind of an interesting thing that they might do next episode. Mm-hmm. This is just something that I noticed about the Man in Black's character in the first shot. Obviously, he was kind of like had let his hygiene go and let his hair grown out. But I was kind of getting like Jim Carrey, Count Olaf vibes from series of unfortunate events from the man black. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you get any of that? Yeah. He, Ed Harris is a phenomenal actor, but when he has to like do a lot of manic things, um, yeah, n- not his strongest suit. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our cold open. Um, we then get this kind of cryptic, Scene that's like a transition from the credits to Bernard and Stubbs's storyline, where we see Bernard in his house um, after Dolores gets out of Westworld, 
and Dolores reminds Bernard what he taught her. We can be whoever we want. Isn't that what you want to believe? And I really didn't see how this fit into the rest of the episode. Um, I guess it has to do with, you know, the multiple of Dolores's personalities. Um, maybe we can be whoever we want or however many <laughs> of us that we want, you know, is kind of the thing that they were getting at. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you felt about that. Well, in, in that scene, Bernard, he, and he explains that he didn't, um, finish building the house. And then we hear pretty, pretty subtly, um, his whispered like voice saying that this isn't real. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was kind of like this, it's almost, I guess, either a construct Dolores kind of created to ease Bernard kind of back into reality. Um, right. or that perhaps it's a hint that, you know, this real world we've been shown this season is nothing more than a simulation, which mm-hmm. I think the latter would definitely fit pretty well with a theme of, of everything that's kind of happening throughout this episode. Um, sure. But it was, it was definitely it, interesting. It kind of fits HBO's arsenal of twists in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I kind of alluded to last episode is that there, <laughs> their arsenal is either someone else is a, a host or a robot or it's a simulation somehow. Yeah. And then um, going back to that aspect ratio, um, it does change. So we saw that with Maeve earlier um, when she was true. in like the war world. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is that aspect ratio goes to widescreen. Mm-hmm. Cool. So after that scene, um, we see that sort of Rehoboam, transition scene with the white background in this kind of pulsing black circle. And we see that there's a divergence in Victorville, USA, which I can only imagine is somewhere near LA given kind of the the current events of the show. Um, But we see that this divergence is essentially Bernard and Stubbs in hiding at this hotel. Um, And Bernard thinks that Dolores replaced Liam Dempsey, the kind of multimillionaire heir to the Rehoboam, throne who she was courting that she replaced him with a host so he's going to try to get to him to see who else dolores has replaced as hosts um i did catch one small detail i don't know if you if you kind of kept up with the news alongside the filming of season three um but i thought it was funny how they wrote in Stubbs saying that he hurt his shoulder while swimming out of westworld mm-hmm. uh, was actually due to luke hemsworth he actually tore his bicep off the bone while they were yes. filming Wow. while hanging a TV. So that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. I did notice, um, in Victorville, they were, the rockets were taking off and landing, um, at SpaceX. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, really? Is sure. that what it was? Yeah. Cool. So good job, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Still I, around in 2090, whatever. Yeah. And in comparison to the other cities that we see in the future, this town looks pretty like, crappy compared to everything Mm -hmm. else and um one thing i didn't really understand was like when did robots like eat and drink for pleasure right because you see bernard bring this like six pack home for stubs Mm -hmm. unless it's like robot like a six pack of robot motor oil or something (laughs) i just figured i guess because stubs was kind of trained and created mm-hmm. to be almost human like like you don't know that he's a robot until very later on sure so i guess he needs yeah he's to kind just... of living amongst the security forces yeah so he's just like programmed to make do like do those actions maybe i'm not sure mm-hmm. well i mean from what i understand from the show like the biological makeup of the host is pretty similar to that of humans that like a beer would impair the motor, like the motor capacities of a, of a host as well. Yeah. And did you, um, I don't know. Did you mention the button that Bernard has? Oh no, I didn't. So it's curious because, you know, we saw Ciroc with a similar button in episode two that he used to override Mm -hmm. Maeve. And then now we see a button that Bernard uses on himself several times throughout the season. But it's just like, in in those moments what like what is it in himself that he's toggling on and off and then same thing for when Sirak is like toggling on and off Maeve and then now he's controlling Stubbs 
Right. Because all, all we saw Bernard toggling on and off in, I believe, the first episode was him going into, like, Jason Bourne mode and, mm-hmm. like, destroying some people that threatened him. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because, obviously, Serac has the same thing, and you wonder, was it engineered using this, like, similar intellectual property, or did they both just kind of figure out um, how to manipulate hosts with this technology? Right, right, Yeah. Um, so after this divergence in Victorville with Bernard and Stubbs, not too far away, we see that Dolores is planning on using Caleb, um, by basically stealing the blood marker of an investment banker to basically siphon out money from Liam Dempsey's Dempsey's bank account for what we don't really know yet. Um, but Dolores and Caleb essentially, um, take this kind of suspenseful trip to the bank, this sort of highfalutin bank that Caleb is very resentful of because of his kind of modest background. Um, Dolores is ready to shoot the place up, um, but luckily the blood marker that they stole from this investment banker lasts long enough for them to basically transfer all of the money over to their own account with the help of um, the host who is supposed to be playing Connell's, Liam Dempsey's sort of like security guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... At first, I thought, well, that the whole technology with Caleb buying and picking out his suits, I think, was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was like you could just click like on the, something, the and, AR yeah, idea, it like just shows you on it or in the in the clothing. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, and yeah, it, it was funny because the one line that stood out to me was um, on the way into the bank, Caleb asked, "What if his blood marker doesn't work?" And mm-hmm. Dolores just like responds with, we do it the old fashioned way. I kill everyone. <laughs> right. Uh, Which is kind of reminiscent mm-hmm. of some of the, the Western style bank robbery she'd seen in Westworld. Exactly. Yeah. Just like going in yeah. guns blazing um, outlaw style. Exactly. And I think this scene in particular, you know, in the past couple episodes, there have been things that have established as kind of like dynamics in the show, whether it's the um, blockchain like crime social network or um you know this rehoboam thing this establishes that this sort of dynamic where people can use other people's blood Mm -hmm. to like pass off as another person right yes and it's only good for like 20 minutes once it's been um oxidized Mm -hmm. yeah once it's been like exposed to oxygen yeah um I'm assuming, I mean, is this the only use of that device that we're going to see in the show? Or do you feel like this sort of blood marker thing might have some something in the wings for us in the next couple episodes? I, well, um, when, like I said earlier, when Hale kind of pricked the man in black, uh, William, in the neck to get a sample of his blood, that was kind of interesting. Um, right, yeah. I thought similarly near the end of the episode. And then now we kind of have... This show, it doesn't, it never does things like by coincidence, I don't think. It sets things up pretty subtly that end up kind of coming back in a major way. So it's going to be interesting to see this blood marker thing and how it's going to turn the tides of the show. Sure, sure. Cool. So this next scene was the one that I felt really... I thought was probably the most important in the show mm-hmm. um, just from driving the story forward. But essentially we move on to Sirak and Maeve's timeline or storyline uh, where we see that Sirak wants Maeve to find Dolores because she is essentially the key to all the data from Westworld that has mapped the human mind, which is basically what he's been after for his entire life. Right. In return, he offers her a place in the world where her daughter and the other hosts were sent by Dolores um, he brings her back to Bernard's home, the one that Bernard found himself in at the beginning of the episode in this sort of, you know, this isn't real uh, scene where he shows that Dolores has brought five hosts back, which is news to Maeve. Um, and he's also found the identity broker, which is apparently an occupation in the future mm-hmm. that helped Dolores and tortures him using these AR glasses again to give him the information on where Dolores is. He then kind of press gangs Maeve into helping him by holding quote unquote heaven, which is spending eternity with her daughter or hell, which is being trapped in her kind of virtual cage that Sirox created for her. Um, and he holds that over her head. Hmm. So it's, 
I do. I feel like I am losing a little bit of patience in the show when it comes to all these simulation questions mm-hmm. um, about what's happening and and all that stuff and whether our life is like deterministic exclusively or not deterministic at all and whether we make the choices we make and um, I think it's cool that we kind of got to see a little bit of Sorak's backstory Um, I guess every villain kind of has their own Um, yeah and I guess I glossed over that if you want to talk about the backstory a bit well we saw that pretty much when Sorak was a boy growing up in Paris he was pretty much like a witness to like this massive bio terror event that destroyed the city and pretty much left a lot of the world uninhabitable, which mm-hmm. I think we're led to assume that. And Sorak essentially wants to control the rest of it. And he right. wants, he kind of like wants to take control. He says so that this doesn't sort of thing doesn't happen again, that his goal is the preservation of humanity. So I guess from the human side of things, he's not necessarily a villain. Um, but he says a lot of things like organic and synthetics can't live together. He kind of offers Maeve this other world where his, where her daughter went um, at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of seemed like an olive branch of some sort. Like, you know, you can't live here, but you can go to this other world. And then for her, she's kind of like, oh, well, I can go back in my cage or I can go to this other cage where you just locked me away sure yeah i i felt like this really it's hard because we talked about you know establishing protagonist and antagonist but it's really relative yeah um to me this this felt like the episode that really establishes a Sirach as that sort of seeming villain on the human side at least to like dolores mm-hmm um, just with the way that he ruthlessly murders this Jang guy, the identity broker, and sort of talking about the futility of humans. Um, but you're right. Like, he, he does it because he wants to create a better humanity, and the, the Rehoboam is kind of his avenue to doing that because it essentially creates this path and tells you what you can be and what you can do and therefore just, like, kind of keeps humanity under this sort of control that while it might not mean a lot of agency or free will for most of humanity, it means that there's not going to be another nuclear Holocaust or that, you know, another major city isn't going to get blown off the map. Yeah. Um, and we saw, he, he explains, Sirach explains that the data Delos collected is, is more complete than the Rehoboam machine he mm-hmm. created for insight. And then you mentioned he takes Maeve to Bernard's house where there's a man with, with information tied in, in a chair um, that you were talking about. And mm-hmm. and I really like the show's take on this trope and how Sorak uses data to show <laughs> pretty much like the captive's future when he does cooperate and, and yeah. when he doesn't. But for me, that's all and, undone when he kills him. Yeah. And it's not only just the projection of that, it's knowing what will, like what will get him to give up the information. Yeah. You know, like his knowledge is so deep based on the data he's collected that not only does he know what to project, but he knows why to project it. Yeah. So, you know, like it's not like he was like, um, here's what's going to happen to you when you die. He's like, I know that your family and your kids are important to you. So I'm going to use these similar, like nefarious evil AR glasses, which Mm -hmm. have so far not proved a positive contribution to society um, to convince you. Yeah. But, and, so I get that he kills him and, and the act of that definitely kind of shows Maeve Strzok's power. And it's definitely mm-hmm. kind of a reminder to her about what is at stake with everything that's happening. Um, but then we move on to Maeve searching for this mortician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Maeve kind of reluctantly agrees uh, heaven robot. Heaven is better than robot. Hell so she begins to track down the mortician, who is essentially this lead from this giant guy. Uh, she finds the mortician, uh, asks for an introduction to the Yakuza, who have also apparently helped Dolores. Um, Maeve busts into the Yakuza hideout. Um, we see her kind of take control of a lot of electronics and mechanics in this scene, which we can discuss in a second. 
Um, but once she busts into this Yakuza hideout, we get kind of the return of Samurai Maeve swinging around her sword, slicing people up. And we also get the return, seemingly, of Musashi, who is one of the characters from this feudal Japan world that we saw in season two, who turns out to be one of the five who made it out. Or is he? More on that in a second. Yes. Um, so, again, most action that we've seen in this season yet, and a lot of it is like within this 15-minute scene, mm-hmm. um, I don't really understand the inner workings of the guns that Maeve can just kind of turn them. Um, that was interesting because she's not really controlling the carrier. She's controlling like that wrist action of the gun. Right. And that was weird. Yeah. It it seems because even before she confronted these Yakuza, um, she went to, I guess like some like dingy nightclub that must have some ties to the mortician. And as she was, as she was passing a lot of these electronic signs and like kiosks, you kind of saw them glitching and like staticky, um, which to me almost suggested that she's almost like this walking EMP or has like EMP like powers. Yeah. Um, but that was one thing that really confused me. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but like how did Maeve all of a sudden, cause obviously when she's in these simulations or she's in uh, the virtual world, she has control over other hosts and over kind of the system that's like entrapping her. What is it that gives these, her these powers in the real world? Yeah, that's another thing that takes me back to, is this the real world? Mm. Is this just a simulation kind of like in Westworld where Serac is just running these scenarios over and over and over again? Maybe this is the first time we're seeing it, but maybe mm. this is like the fourth, fifth, or 100th time that Maeve has broken into the Yakuza's hideout, and he's just kind of gathering data and seeing how she does this each time. Definitely. Yeah, and I mean that that wouldn't be a new trick for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you'd kind of think like, what is the motivation for running that simulation? What is the information he's trying to ascertain? Because in those previous simulations, they were all trying to figure something out. Well, it seems like his main, which we find out later, of course, in the episode. But one of his big things is is getting to Dolores and stopping Dolores, mm-hmm. um, and you know who is potentially inside of Musashi Dolores. Yes. Um, I will say I I alluded to uh, some of the well-blended humor in this episode. Um, I don't know if you caught as Maeve was kind of barging in to the mortician's kind of hideout or like off like doctor's office. She's got like a bunch of open bodies and she's like tearing up flesh and blood splurting everywhere. And one of her security guards just like munching on ramen noodles <laughs> in the corner while she's just like opening up bodies. Well, um, I do remember when her and Stubbs were fighting at that like one percenter like orgy party. Mm-hmm. Her like ex boyfriend was behind her, and she like kind of walked by and like tapped her forehead, yeah, like saying what he's seeing isn't real, and that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, there were definitely some funny or like that the the other girl who was friends with Liam Dempsey was like watching the fight and she thought it was just her like tripping on whatever rich person synthetic yeah. drug she was <laughs> tripping on. Yeah. But that was pretty funny. But in that like, um, Yakuza hideout, we see mm-hmm. where she stabs one of the barrels and that white cream sort of substance comes out. Yes. And that's interesting because while, it's like, well, all this stuff is going on in the real world and like Dolores is like running around LA. Like we have this mm-hmm. Yakuza like stocking up on robot fluids for what reason? Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we know enough about the story now to kind of delve, dive into that. Um, but we know that Dolores is basically planning on sort of liberating the hosts, um, creating a world for hosts in the real world. So you've got to think, you know, right now her primary motivation is like winning people to her side with Caleb. Um, and she, we know that she just siphoned money out of Liam Dempsey's account, but to what end? Mm-hmm. And I think this provides us really the hottest lead for what she might be up to because, um, you know, we, we 
we basically then realize, you know, who all these missing hosts are. And so she's, it, to me, it seems like she's just executing on the next step of her plan, which is like getting enough of this like robot fluid and enough assets to be able to create a bunch of hosts, maybe like some sort of host army. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you got the same sense yeah. about that. Yeah. It's why don't like, I guess their biological makeup is similar to humans. So, so her getting stabbed, she wouldn't, she wouldn't bleed like that white. Would she? Yeah, it's a good question. To me, from what I understand, the white stuff isn't necessarily what they like bleed or what runs through their veins. It's like what they get like incubated in. Mm. And it's sort of what forms like the synthetic material that makes up their like skin and their other organs and things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Cause we also saw, you know, Dolores had the ability to create these hosts in Bernard's old home, but we now know that that location has been compromised by Ciroc. So of course, if she's planning on building other hosts, she has to have a place to do it. Yeah. And then we see Musashi pick up his sword and he's going to go cut open Maeve's head after he stabs mm-hmm. her. Um, my guess is to get her pearl. Um, but then he runs away when he learns that people tracking Maeve are on the way. Yep. Um, so in the next scene, we see that Liam, who is somewhat bummed out by having been catfished by a robot, uh, attends a drug-fueled masquerade, eyes wide shut-esque charity prostitution party. God help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that Dolores and Caleb and also Bernard and Stubbs are also there. Uh, Stubbs tries to buy Bernard time to escape with Liam. Um, Bernard basically saying, you know, you're, you're in some trouble, come with me and we'll help you out. Um, so he tries to buy Bernard time by fighting Dolores and she promptly kicks his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not sure why they needed to kidnap, um, Liam. I don't think that's been told to us yet. I know they, they want his money just because he has a lot of it and they need money. Mm Mm-hmm. But why they need him was kind of a, a question to me. Uh, why Caleb and Dolores need yeah. Liam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we know Bernard and Stubbs are trying to use him to figure out who who else Dolores has created as hosts. Um, right. But why do they need him if they already have his money, like you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um to me, the only tie that would seem to make sense is the fact that he is kind of, besides Serac, the one link to the Rehoboam project. Um, and the Rehoboam is essentially what Dolores is trying to destroy or disrupt. Yeah. Um, so maybe she's looking for some in or some sort of way in which she can get to the Rehoboam or manipulate it in some way. Mm-hmm. I did notice that Dolores has this habit of like, answering Caleb's questions super vaguely and indirectly, which like in real, if I wasn't getting answers about this, like revolution we were starting, I would just be out. Right. Like who, like, I, yeah, I met you three days ago (laughs) and you want me to do what? Yeah. Like they were entering the masquerade party and he was like, what is this? And she just like very cryptically is like, you know, I used to think our worlds were very different. Turns out they're exactly the same. And just like doesn't answer his question, right? And he's yeah. like, "Okay, like let me help you kill these people." Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I really like this scene because it was essentially these two factions of hosts that have been separated in this season finally kind of colliding in the real world. Well, it's unfortunate uh-huh. because Bernard, he's always like two steps behind Dolores, yeah. so I don't know how that's gonna continue to make sense for him unless he gets some other sort of allegiance with someone because at, at that rate he's toast. Sure. And like, what is the next step for Bernard now? Like that he's been caught by this Connell's guy and he knows it's Dolores. Right. Yeah. So at that same moment, we kind of get that three, the scene where it flashes back to three different scenes where um, it's kind of revealed that the three people that we were kind of wondering about turn out to all be copies of Dolores. Yeah. So essentially William and Charlotte are on their way to their quote unquote shareholders meeting. And Charlotte basically lets him know that she knows about the delusions and 
he puts it together that she's really Dolores and Charlotte's body at the same time that Bernard is realizing that Connell's is Dolores and Connell's body and Maeve is figuring out that Musashi is also Dolores in her body. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think either you or I made some kind of allusion to the fact that she might have been creating copies um, at the end of season two. Yeah. Um, but I think most of the fan theorists just predicted that these were like some ancillary characters like a Teddy or an Angela or Clementine. Um, Mm -hmm. And we are missing one. Um, So I kind of looked back and there's, so there's six pearls that she pulled mm -hmm. out or that she had. Um, One of them, of course, being Bernard. So that doesn't count. And then you have um, Dolores herself. Yeah. the Yakuza guy, Musashi, mm-hmm. Charlotte, um, Scarface, I like to call yeah. him. Um, <laughs> so that's five. So the sixth pearl is in someone we, I guess, haven't met or maybe have met and aren't suspicious about yet. Yeah. So do you think it's another Dolores or do you feel like it's some character from the past? Um, I want to say it's just another Dolores because she's already made other copies of herself. Mm-hmm. So why not make another one? It's just interesting to see like what the reveal is to who, who she is. Like maybe it's right. someone we've already have had contact with that we aren't sure. Or again, that we'll see next episode. Sure. So in the final segment, we essentially see that Charlotte was really trying to entrap Blaine by making him look crazy and therefore having him surrender his shares of the company to her, the current acting president, as opposed to kind of risking this wild card that is William voluntarily giving up his shares. Um, Mm -hmm. She then pricks him in the neck with something like people would do before, uh, before he's taken away to this like high end mental hospital where he's then haunted by some visions of Dolores. Yeah. That was interesting. It's, is this Doris? Is this a revolution uh, revelation he's having? Um, it is interesting though, that the man in black now at the end of this episode is now in full white. So whatever that means. The man in black is now the man in white. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, detail. Yeah. No, it, it was interesting. And like, is, like, like you said, is it really Dolores as a figment of his imagination or is it something more because she's asking the questions that he apparently is asking himself, which is kind of the way these sorts of delusions work. They're kind of grounded in what might be in your subconscious or mm-hmm. what you're really thinking. Um, but he essentially for, or she essentially forces him to ask the question, am I me? Um, which was another one of those really like mind bending questions that leaves me a bit confused, even though the plot lines of the story are starting to kind of come into focus. Yeah, it's, and then she kind of talks about vaguely, of course, how if you, if your life is like completely deterministic then you know like the decisions that you make you know probably the next decision that you're going to make and you pretty much know who you are so i think that this william that we're seeing is definitely a real like the human william and i think he's just having a lot of ptsd from (laughs) his his last few months in the park sure yeah he was definitely in pretty rough shape um but the one thing that still is kind of left to be resolved is that scene at the end of season two where he's essentially having the fidelity test with his daughter or the host version of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so this certainly isn't going to be the end of The Man in Black, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I think it, it's interesting because we saw senior Delos um, in season two of Westworld where he was kind of in like that hell, I guess where the room was all red and he was like going crazy. Right. And, like out of his mind. Um, it kind of seems like this is kind of the direction that William might be going in mm-hmm. where 
he kind of just loses all sense of reality and just kind of breaks down. But if you think about it, the Delos that was in that hell was so deluded, but he was also a host. Yeah. And he was kind of left there to kind of mire in his like broken loop, you know, Mm -hmm. that he couldn't, he couldn't like make that resolution for himself. And that almost makes you think like, could it be that William is, or the man in black is suffering from the same thing because he's a host. (laughs) Like it's, (laughs) it's just really hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. um, And I like how they kind of put Dolores back into like her original, like blue dress with her like Southern drawl on her voice. Um, And then we have these unanswered questions. Like, is this an hallucination? Is she like literally inside William's head? You know, is he a host for that reason? Um, And then she says, welcome to the end game. And that kind of, of course, blows everything else out of proportion. Right. Yeah. So the episode ends there. Uh, We also get kind of a sneak peek into the next episode where we seemingly get to follow a younger Ciroc and learn more of his motivations, um, which I'm really intrigued by because we saw some of that, those motivations being established this episode, but you really get to see it in detail in the next one. Um, and we also see Caleb kind of acting on behalf of Dolores, but they kind of throw some questions in there as Bernard, you know, sort of, sort of questions him as, do you know, do you really understand what she's trying to get you to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe kind of casting some doubt on Caleb's actions. Um, did I miss anything from the, the sneak peek to the next one? No, I think that was it. Yeah. So that was three Oh four. Um, obviously there were some theories that kind of closed loops after this episode. Um, you no longer have to wonder who Charlotte is, uh, or who a lot of the other hosts are. We know that Dolores brought back at least five copies of herself implanted those in Charlotte Connell's um who else is it um I already lost track Musashi oh yeah Musashi and Um, and, and we know to that point it's interesting because um did you ever see the movie Multiplicity Man no I didn't so it kind of talks like that movie kind of goes off of this kind of concept where um you know, Dolores is making a copy of herself and then she's making another copy of the copy and then another copy of a copy. And it's just like kind of like that old, the old saying, like you have a ship and you keep replacing parts of the ship. At what point is it no longer the original ship? So it's interesting to see like with Dolores, like after she is copied so many times, like we saw Charlotte's body and the Dolores inside Charlotte kind of, break down and pick out her skin and mm-hmm. kind of go a little haywire. So like at what point are the copies of Dolores no longer truly Dolores and they, they kind of get absorbed into the bodies of the people that they are hosting, mm-hmm. which is cool. Or you could argue that the different like experiences they have or, you know, whatever thoughts might be going through their brain based on Dolores's chemistry, that they're entirely new people as soon as they have a single experience. Yeah, like how many, yeah, essentially how many times can you copy someone to where that is no longer that original person? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Because we saw, you know, the Charlotte Dolores sort of have these maternal instincts that, you know, maybe were brought about by the person that she was occupying. Um, So what are the things that she's, that like the Connell's character is going to draw? Or like, Mm -hmm. is the Connell's character just going to be more ruthless because he was already this kind of, um, you know, muscle, this henchman for, William Dempsey. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what is Musashi? What is his influence going to be on Dolores? Yeah. So I think overall, um, mm-hmm. despite not being able to just hone in on one or two characters in this episode, I think this episode succeeded pretty well in delivering, um, like on, on story and twist. And I mean, it was like chock full of exposition and reveals, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I initially felt a little bummed, like bummed out about the twist. Um, I want there to be 
room for more characters from the past seasons instead of just Dolores clones everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting, like, why was this such a big reveal? Why couldn't they just show us, like, in episode one or two that Dolores had just cloned herself? So that kind of leads me to believe that this is going to have a bigger impact later on this season. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the twist, honestly, and I like the way that the three storylines came together mm-hmm. with these seeming separate conflicts that all basically arrived at the same realization at the same time. Yeah, and she also um, like mentioned, I, like, you know, she wants to do everything on her own. Mm-hmm. Like, who better to trust than yourself? Exactly. Yes, I was just about to say that because, you know, she learned that she couldn't rely on Teddy because he was just inherently too good, even when his, like, evil meter had been turned up. Um, you know, there were plenty of examples of people that she couldn't trust, so it makes sense. And you're right. That's such a good, like, if you caught that foreshadowing mm-hmm. of, you know, who better to do it than yourself. Um, I'm sure there were some theorists out there and on Reddit or somewhere that picked that up. <laughs> yeah. And, and I felt like the Williams stuff was handled really well. And, mm-hmm. you know, while you're certainly supposed to know, like want to know like what in the world is really going on with the character. I think it's pretty cool like to just, like you said, to kind of watch Ed Harris kind of turn into that Jim Carrey sort of <laughs> character. And, yeah. Um, and the last scene between William and Dolores was, was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, I agree. Two, uh, two characters that go way back. Yeah. Neither character would be where they are today, you know, without the other. And it's interesting to see where that path kind of leads for the rest of the season. Yeah. They're, they're certainly foils of one another. Mm-hmm. And I think uh-huh. when the series does finally come to an end, it's definitely going to come back around to William and Dolores, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, maybe there's a world where he's used against her somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, possibly Ciroc or Maeve picks up on, you know, their previous relationship. Um, but yeah, excited for the next couple episodes. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I did want to touch on as well, um, I know this is something that you alluded to in the last episode, Kyle, but we have a new opening credits um yep sequence in this season um and the reason we thought that it was important to touch on this is because in seasons past in both season one one and two we saw unique elements of this opening credit scene um and they actually did sort of foreshadow or at least make suggestions about what was going to happen over the course of the season uh so we thought it would be good to just kind of go over each of those elements and you know talk about maybe our thoughts on them or what people might be theorizing about them um, so obviously we, we have the Rehoboam is an obvious one because we see the actual Rehoboam in episode one. Um, it's that like black orb with those kind of lights that are flashing around the outside of it. And again, you know, is the system that guides the world and its citizens down their perfect path. So we know that's going to be a major plot point, And we know that it is the machine that Dolores is essentially raging against at the moment. So I don't think there's too much hidden meaning behind that one, but that's obviously what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we also sort of see this meiosis or like this process of like cells dividing and spreading. And also this animation of these like dandelion seeds being spread during the, the opening sequence. And the most of the theorizing that I'm seeing are that these are perhaps possible allusions to Dolores' plan to bring more hosts into the real world. Um, You know, we sort of touched on Musashi's complex, but um, we know that she needs to find some place to, you know, make this host world a a reality. Yeah. Yeah. And it also kind of implies to me, because you see the um, dandelion seeds being blown away, and then they kind of get incorporated into the Rehoboam and that kind of obviously shows that Dolores' plan definitely involves taking over that machine mm-hmm. and using it, you know, to build more host. Sure. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a good. Uh, I actually like that a lot. Like mm-hmm. actually using the kind of weapon that they're using against her at the moment to her own ends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so the next element we get is this sort of mechanical eagle, it almost seems like, and this engine, which is also very akin to the orb that you see in those transition scenes. It's kind of pulsing and um, shows the divergences that the Rehoboam picks up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you actually alluded to this in the previous episode, Kyle, this sort of Icarus analogy about flying close too close to the sun. Um, but the, yeah. the question I would pose is who is flying too close to the sun? Yeah, so I kind of took... Um, so eagles, at least in you know America, are mm-hmm. a symbol of, of this freedom that mm-hmm. we have and, and how the host and Dolores are fighting for this freedom of their own and how they... Dolores is trying super hard to pretty much take over this world that we're, that we're seeing. And, and in, in the story, Icarus, his, his dad, of course, told him not to fly too close to the sun because his wings will burn or, um, don't fly too low close to the sea because then they'll be soaked with water and he'll, and he'll drown. Um, but he kept pushing on, he kept pushing on and he flew higher and higher. And then he eventually, of course, um, hit the sun and his wings burned and he fell and he plummeted into the, into the water. So to me, I, I want to see this Eagle as Dolores, hmm. as the symbol of host freedom, you know, trying her hardest to be free and she takes it a little bit too high and she plummets. Sure. Yeah, no, I can definitely see where you can make the connection with Dolores there. Um, but another one that popped into my mind was that it might be possibly alluding to Sirach, um, you know, trying his hardest to control humanity. We know from basically any movie with a bad guy trying to take over the world ever that it doesn't always um, go as planned. And even the smartest men in the world with all the data on every human in the world, mm-hmm. you know, can still seemingly, you know, quote unquote, fly too close to the sun. Um, you know, so I, I think these opening credits have often alluded to the happenings in the show, but this one is pretty vague as to who perhaps this Icarus character is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also get the kind of animation of this drowning host, uh, which is basically a reflection of Michelangelo's, the creation of Adam. Um, And it's sort of an allusion to the fact that these hosts are now creating the versions of themselves as opposed to being formed by a God. Um, but we see the hosts basically begin to sink and its face start to fade away, much like the, the feathers of the eagle start to fade away in its sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, but to me, this potentially foreshadows the demise of one of our host characters. Which all are technically Dolores at this point. Right. I guess you could make an argument that it could be Bernard or Maeve or Stubbs, any of the other hosts are in play or potentially, um, you know, new hosts at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But we know uh, at least that there's some sort of foreboding symbolism in this opening credit sequence. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And finally, the last kind of big difference is in each season, we sort of see this host being submerged into the white, like synthetic material fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, in previous seasons, this host has had features, but in this season, it's one of those faceless drones like you see operating behind the scenes at Westworld. Um, and it's also being submerged into red liquid. I don't know what, what your takeaway is in that, Kyle, why they decided to make the change this season. Yeah, so that... Vitruvian man sinking into fluid. Uh, we've seen that in all three seasons of the title sequences. Um, like you said, the main one in this season being different is that he, it isn't that red, that red liquid instead of that white cream that we're used to. And it's, it's interesting because it, all three of these kind of pictures that we're seeing could could notion some sort of demise for the robots for the host. And I don't know if that's too like in our face, like we get it. Like, you know, the host could be on a downward spiral. 
Um, but it's interesting to see kind of what your thoughts are for that. Yeah. Um, I think the Vitruvian man has always kind of, at least in this show, been a symbol that like humans hosts are also kind of attached to this machine. Um, you know, whether that's the machine of like society or your own chemistry, the red seems like a pretty strong symbol of like danger or death. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, it could have maybe some human implications. Um, you know, that like maybe these faceless drones are meant to represent humans. You know, we've seen them, the show suggests that humans, while they seemingly have agency, the hosts basically think that they lack it and that they're, they're sort of sheep or robots themselves. Um, so maybe that that's some sort of foreboding message for, um, humanity as well on the show. Um, but overall, I think that these, all of these new additions to the opening sequence are essentially like they could all be omens of impending death and possibly that of like a major character or even like all of humanity. Um, but who knows, you know, I think we'll have to, um, wait for episodes five through eight to tell us. Well, it's interesting because who's impending death we're awaiting. (laughs) Yeah. Because all the hosts, they, they're fighting because they're enslaved because they can't make their own decisions. And in this show so far, all the humans that we've seen have kind of like given over their lives to certain technologies that kind of make decisions for them. Mm-hmm. So everyone, I think it was even mentioned earlier on this season. Um, someone asked why they would give their world over to all of these technologies and to these robots. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting. Even Caleb, for example, he, he saw, or he was shown that in like 20 years or whatever, that he was going to commit suicide. And right. he pretty much doesn't have a choice. Whatever he chooses in life doesn't matter because in 20 years, you're going to kill yourself. So now he's like, well, screw it. I'm going to, this is going to happen. So I might as well just have someone else make my decisions for me. Where in retrospect, the robots are fighting for the exact opposite. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting. The idea of, I think they've played it as like a strong theme throughout the show so far is Mm -hmm. that both of these groups, the humans and the hosts are very alike in many ways, but also very different. Um, in ways that are almost ironic and you know I was even saying in one of the first episodes it was like it seemed like they all just wanted the opposite yeah like all the hosts wanted humanity all the humans want people to make their decisions for them so mm-hmm. um, those themes are still still running true throughout the show I think is one of the, the strong the strong suits of this season is that the themes are very palpable and um, they don't really deviate too much from them Um and overall, I thought 304 was a really well-balanced, um, you know, it, it culminated in this really suspenseful um, moment of realization. I thought it was probably, to me, the best episode so far of season three. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm excited to see what it's going to be like next week. And then, like I said, I think I saw something where this is kind of the halfway mark. There's going to be, I think, only eight episodes. Um Yes, so that'll yeah, be that's interesting right. to see. Have we had any news so far on potential fourth or fifth seasons? I actually think we have. I was reading today that um, the showrunners, um, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, is that the one? Yeah, <laughs> um, alluded to the fact that they there's a very good chance of seasons four and five. So two potential seasons to follow this one. That always kind of shapes my viewing when I know that this isn't the end, Mm -hmm. that there's definitely more out there. And I guess they can always like go in a complete other direction, but I don't know. It seems like there's going to be one major character death. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I'm, of course, you would think with two more seasons, some character introductions are possible as well. Yeah. Maybe we'll see Marshawn Lynch back again. I actually, it looked like him and Lena Waithe um, are helping Caleb in the next episode. So it seems like we will yes. get um, some action from them, which it would be cool to see 
because they're obviously two very prominent people of color to have a role that's not typecast is kind of just like the muscle or people these like flat characters you know obviously yeah. tandy newton's mave it plays a really large role in this show but i'd say for the most part it's pretty whitewashed well mm-hmm. bernard's character as well <laughs> so maybe yeah. not as whitewashed as i thought <laughs> yeah 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 well, cool. So, yeah, if you again, if you enjoyed listening to this kind of recap of the Westworld show that we're watching, definitely let us know. Um, we will continue to do this each week. Of course, you can also send in your questions, feedback, theories if you want to us on Twitter at C two C Podcasting, or um, send us a message on Anchor FM slash Coast Podcast. And for this week, we will talk at you next time. All right, see you then. Bye.